morning. Please join me on page 807 of the Pew Bible. It's actually not marked, so it's the first page of the New Testament. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be reading Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and then 18 through 25. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will, he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for bringing us together on this beautiful day. Thank you for sending your son to forgive our sins. Lord, we've never done a thing to deserve that. It's only through your grace and mercy that, uh, that we're even here this morning, Lord. And we're grateful for everything that you do for us. Please open our hearts and our minds to hear the sermon this morning. Help Cody to express your word with care and, and the love, Lord, that you have for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned in our, our, our announcements, if you will, we're just going to spend the next three weeks in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're going to sink our proverbial teeth into this passage and enjoy it for all that we can possibly get out of it. And I can guarantee you we won't get all that is there. We could spend every Christmas from here into the return of Christ and there's more here than we'll ever possibly be able to comprehend. But such glory awaits us. We'll do what we can. I don't know about you, but I do enjoy very much the month of December, uh, both, both for my own soul and, and as a pastor. Uh, there is something wonderful about this time of year. Less the trappings, if you will, and more of the reminder. It's as if right before a new year we get this, just this graciousness in the way our calendar is organized, but where we get this reset of heart and mind, uh, of soul even, reminded of Jesus Christ who came for me to save me from my sin because of the love of God for me. I almost feel like we should just sing the second verse of Sing with the Song of Emmanuel. We can close the text and say, well, that's exactly what it says. Uh, it's excellent. If you, not, if you didn't get it the first time last week, you didn't get it today, let me read it for you again. Second verse of the song we just sang. Come we to welcome Emmanuel, king who came with no crown or throne. Helpless he lay, the invincible Maker of Mary, now Mary's son. Oh, what wisdom to save us all. Shepherds, sages before him fall. Grace and majesty, what humility. 
Come on bended knee, adore him. Amen. And that's what we will endeavor to do the next three weeks. Notice our text begins with a genealogy. This is the Greek word used here for Genesis. Uh, It's the beginning. Uh, Matthew begins with what fallen man since, since the garden has longed hoped to see and placed their hope in coming. A new Adam, a new beginning, a fresh start. A second Adam that would walk with God in sinlessness. An Adam that would propagate a truly godly seed and not a corrupt one. And so the original readers of the book of Matthew, the opening here of this text would have been delighted. Jewish people. This is how, from whom, to whom Christ, Jesus Christ, came. And even this morning as we look at this text, we're reminded that the king of all nations came in humility to save his people eternally from their sin. The king of all nations came in humility to save his people eternally from their sin. Well, we didn't have the entirety of those first 17 verses read aloud. It is a genealogy. It is a a tracing of the heritage of Christ, if you will. Notice he begins, this is the beginning of Jesus Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Messiah. The common name for Jesus, Savior, Christ, anointed one. And there's this declaration. He's come. He's here. He's the son of David. He's the son of the one who is promised to always have a son on the throne. I'll read for you. Feel free if you'd like to turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, This is what would have rung through the mind of the first hearers of this text. Is the promise God gave to David. Through the, Nathan, through the prophet Nathan in Second Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever if you read this genealogy the question had to have been really if you read the list of these men and women it it seemed for many years there wasn't much hope that this would actually come true and yet here is the promised one not just the son of David but also the son of Abraham you know it because we've gone to it before The promise God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. Let me take you to Genesis 22 where he renews the covenant with Abraham following the willingness of Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Genesis 22, 15 through 18. 
And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And then he plunges headlong into 17 verses of genealogy. Matthew pins the text. He's one of the 12. He's a tax collector. He's familiar with genealogies, with lists. It's less a biological genealogy and much more a legal lineage connecting Christ to David's throne. Notice you have Judah inserted in here. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. But I want you to see, and we won't go in detail to everyone listed here, but depending on how you slice this list, especially the the list uh, between 6 and verse 11, there are eight good kings listed and eight bad kings listed. Now I said how you, depending on how you slice the list, because there's not that many, but some started good and ended bad. Some started bad and actually ended in repentance. But it's, it's not a list that anybody places on the wall and says, yeah, that's my family. <laughs> Your uncle so-and-so. No way. This is not something that you want in your lineage. Verse 2 through 17 not, includes, not only includes many that have walked in horrible ways, but it also includes, uh, in, in an unusual way for a genealogy, five women. Typically the genealogy were, were only listed by way of father. And yet that's interesting too because there's two Gentile women listed. There's a prostitute listed. There's a, pr- a few of women of questionable character listed. There's Mary that's listed. It's a birth of the humblest beginnings. But, and when I say that, I don't mean a birth of the humblest beginnings in terms of circumstances. You probably think of a nativity scene. But in terms of his lineage. His earthly lineage is marked by wicked fathers. He's the son of David, the king who has come for Israel. But for us today, we are grateful he's the son of Abraham. He is the king who has come for the Gentile world. Christ is not merely the savior of the Jews, but of all kinds and types of people. Maker of Mary, now Mary's son. The king who has come to save us all. R.C. Sproul tells a story about this passage. Uh, It tells a story about an indigenous group of people who did not have the Bible translated into their own language. And the missionary that had gone to that place and begun the work of translation, uh, the first book this missionary had worked on was the book of Matthew. And in order to expedite the process, had omitted verse 1 through 17. The difficulty of translating some of these big names into a language that didn't have any writing at all, had never been translated, uh, this missionary got to the meat of it, so to speak. And it was devastating for the missionary when, after weeks, months, even years, this book, Matthew, freshly translated, still smell the fresh binding, gets trucked in, and all of these people are much more enamored by the giant truck 
and not at all by the, the book in their hand. Some years passed and another translation came about. It was an updating, updated version to the first one and this second translation had these 17 verses included and the chief of the tribe read the genealogy comes to the missionary and says, what is this? This wasn't in the first one. What is this now? Well, this is the lineage of Jesus Christ. This is the genealogy of Christ. The chief was thrilled, excited, saying, you mean to tell me that this Jesus of whom you've been telling us about for all these years is actually a real person? We thought he was a story. He's real. You you mean he really is someone who has come? Christ is a real person, connected to real people, to a real ancestry, and he really came for people like us. He's the anointed one long foretold. He is the king. Thus, he's Jesus Christ, the anointed one who would save. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what your genealogy is. I know what mine is. I prefer my mother's, my, my father's genealogy to my mother's simply because my father's has pastors that go back for many, many centuries. Centuries, that's probably a wrong way to put it. Not centuries. But it goes back. By the grace of God, my mother is a first generation believer. I don't know what yours is. But I know some of your past And there's a temptation, I think, at times. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I I didn't come from good stock. I wasn't raised religious. I've done horrible things. I, I don't have the genealogy that you have. You've got pastors in it. The humblest of beginnings and ancestors cannot thwart God's plan for the Christian. And wherever you are and you're life and in your family's lineage, it is a wonder that you can have a a new beginning in a sense, a father, maybe of whom you've never had before. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the love of the fatherhood of God, that he would send his son in order to make himself a new people. It's the wonder of the Christian church that we all come on a particular time. We all get the opportunity to worship together and we're not sitting there saying, well, are you of the tribe of so-and-so or of this or that? No, we have, a, we have the same Father who loves us and cares for us in ways we could never even imagine. It's a profound implication of the gospel. What about you this morning? Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus or are you going to hold out until you feel like you're more worthy of him he's come he came for sinners he knows well what it's like to be part of a sinful family and he came to save his people from their sin he offers himself to you will you repent of your sin and look to Jesus Christ to be the one who would save you from your sin I don't know where you're at in that. Maybe you've been here a while and hadn't really thought about it or you're now thinking about it more clearly in this Christmas season. I'm at the back of the church. There's people to your right and left that would love to talk to you about this. Let us do so. 
It's your soul that's at stake. But that's the beginning of the life of Jesus Christ, those first 17 verses. How did this king come? And that's the second section here, how the king was born, verse 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, and here's how it took place. Mary is betrothed, we don't have that much anymore, to Joseph. There was a commitment to marriage, but not married yet. And before they came together, she was found to be with child. And if you take Luke's narration of this, there may have been three to four months between Mary's betrothal and Joseph finding out because she goes and she's with her cousin Elizabeth. Here she is found to be pregnant. The Holy Spirit having conceived in her the Christ child And her husband Joseph, he's a just man, he's a good man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolves to divorce her quietly, and an angel of the Lord appears and gives him direction, which we'll look at here in just a moment. But I want to pause there on verse 18 and recognize that Mary is Christ's mother, but through divine intervention by God, we see that Jesus Christ has ultimately fatherhood in God not in Joseph. Augustine puts it well this, in this way. He by whom all things were made, that is Jesus Christ, he by whom all things were made was made one of all things. The Son of God by the Father without a mother became the Son of Man by a mother without a father. The Word who is God before all time became flesh at the appointed time. The Maker of the Son was made under the sun. He who fills the world lays in a manger, great in the form of God, but tiny in the form of a servant. This was in such a way that neither was his greatness diminished by his tininess, nor was his tininess overcome by his greatness. This was an unnatural birth. It was unlike any other. He, the Son of God, not of Joseph, a a divine conception, God working through a virgin, we being the sons of Adam, Jesus being the Son of God. Sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, are incapable of birthing anything but an imperfect child. And yet, Christ was perfect. Unnatural, not only in his divine fatherhood, but also in his birth being foretold. The scriptures foretell the coming Messiah as much as 4,000 years prior. We're reminded of some of that prophecy. You see it in verse 22 of your text. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, sometime you should go read Isaiah chapter 7. It doesn't, this message does not come across in Isaiah 7 with the joy and hope that is filled here. It actually comes across in a way that's a rebuke. A wicked king. One of the kings is actually in this genealogy listed in verse, the first 17 verses. A wicked king who will not obey the Lord. Who is living in hypocrisy. Who is living faithlessly. 
in an obstinate way to the Lord and to the commands of God, he's asked, ask for a sign. And he defies God. And the prophet Isaiah says, then the Lord will give you a sign. And this is the sign that is given. I, I think it's interesting to note. It's got to be noted. That the, the promised son of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 comes in the context of unfaithfulness. The promised savior of, of sin, from sin, comes in the context of one who is living in sin. There's a reason, brothers and sisters, why followers of Christ are called to be humble because our king came humbly. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, this is the passage we go to quite often, but we'll go there again. Can't have enough of it. And here it describes the humility and yet glory of of Jesus Christ. I'll read it for you. If you would like to turn there, please do. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why? Why? Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's conclude here. Point number three, the response of faith to the news. This is a, a different shift, if you will. A focus on a, a little bit what takes place in the life of Joseph in verse 18 through 25. I think it's interesting to note, maybe it's by way of Rome uh, and the Catholic influence upon Christmas, but so much of the Christmas traditions center around Mary and yet within this narrative of Matthew 1, uh, the writer actually has the spotlight on Joseph. I think it's interesting to, to think about what Joseph was going through. We were told he's a, he's a just man. He wants to do what's right. He's unwilling to, put her away to sh unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly under Jewish law, uh, an illegitimate child potentially punishable by death. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place. What does one do in those tough times? But as he considered these things, but as he considered these things, I don't know where you are this morning, but I can guess because it's central to all of us that all of us have some bit of a rock and a hard place. Some may have bigger rocks and harder places. But all of us have difficulties in this life. What do you do? Well, let's take a bit of the playbook here 
and, and, and this isn't the entirety of the answer, but this is something that should be done, and that is time plus, play, time plus prayer plus the word is oftentimes the means God uses to bring about an answer in the midst of those difficult things. That's what he does. There's time considering these things. There's, there's, there's uh, prayer that we would give. We don't see him praying here as much, but we see the word given to him, and then we have the word in front of us. The word and work of God must always guide our decisions. Notice he, he, he's in this difficult spot as he considers these things. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I, I want to be careful here because at times I think we could say, well, of course he, he got the dream. He woke up and said, yes, this is what I'm going to do. It, it, he still responded in faith. We need not the dream anymore. We have the word of God before us. But here he had the word given to him. And, and he had the recall, if you will, of the work of God and his faithfulness. But that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This understanding of all that God has done up until this point and preparing for a savior and then he awakes, and in faithfulness, verse 24 and 25, he does what has been commanded of him, though probably with great social difficulty. Brothers and sisters, we must guard to not allow the word and work of the Lord to grow out of focus. It's what happened to the Jews prior to the coming of Christ. It's the natural leaning of sinful man. He's given us his word. He's given us the testimony of his work in his word of how he's working. He's given us work to do as Christians, baptism, Lord's Supper, communion of saints, prayer, devotion to preaching. To let these things grow dim is to dim the eyes of faith. The word, the work of God, the work he has given us to do is what keeps the reading glasses of faith sharp and crisp. We're, we're, we're getting ready to launch into a new year. What's your Bible reading look like for the new year? Is it going to be crisp? Is it going to be central? Is it going to lose focus? The word was given to Joseph, Joseph and he believed and he acted in faith. And the good news of Christ has been given. The gospel has been given to us. Do you believe and are you acting in faith? You, know, some, you may have heard the, the, the term before. Um, we live in the light of the gospel. That's right, because we, we don't live the gospel. You can't live the gospel. You can't live news. If you turn on the television, it says, the local lettuce has been contaminated in your local H-E-B. What do you do? You don't march down to H-E-B and buy the lettuce. You live in the light of that news, and you don't buy the lettuce. What's the news? The news is... Jesus Christ has come. The king of all nations came in humility to save his people eternally from their sin. Are we living in the light of such news? Has the difficulty of life maybe clouded that good news? May I suggest to you, go home this morning, go home this week, take out Matthew chapter one, print it if you need to, put it on your wall, your mirror, whatever you have to do. Read 18 through 25 till the focus comes back clear in the midst of the cloud of life, that the news that is greater than any others is true. He has come. 
And he has done his work to save you from your sin. It is finished, he says. The greatest gift has been given, but we all need times of renewing our joy in this inexpressible gift. Now, we have scratched the surface of Matthew chapter 1. I mean, just touched it. So we will spend the next two weeks. One, we will look at, next week we'll look at the supernatural work he does, which is he came to save his people from their sins. And the following week we will see ultimately why he came and did that work, and that's for a glorious worship. I submit to you this text, Matthew chapter 1, 8 through 20, 18 through 25. I encourage you, spend time here in this season. Reflect upon the good news be reminded of the gift of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Father, we would plead with you. I would plead with you. to, by your power and for your glory, plant the word accordingly upon each heart and mind here. Father, we desperately need this word. We desperately need to be reminded of Jesus Christ. Father, we so easily are distracted from the glory of this news. And Father, I would just pray that according to the needs of the hearts represented, that you would, you would humble if needed, you would lift up, you would encourage, you would strengthen, exhort, whatever is needed. You would save Father, what better Christmas gift could there be than the gift of saving faith? Father, we would look forward to this week. We thank you for the opportunity to invite a friend to a Christmas Eve service, to invite another the person behind the counter that we see often throughout the week and have the opportunity to say Merry Christmas to. Uh, we look forward to, Father, seeing uh, the work you will do as we seek to be faithful in this season to give the merry news. Father, we thank you for the time we've sung, prayed, a few moments that we've spent in your word. We pray now for this afternoon. We look forward to seeing how you will take this word and bring good fruit for your glory, not only this afternoon, but this week. Thank you for our time. As we sing here in a moment, may our hearts continue to be strengthened. In the precious and holy name of Christ, I pray. Amen.